Hello and welcome to My Talk, a podcast series dedicated to global coverage of developments in the asset management, wealth management, insurance and distribution industries. This is brought to you by ISS Market Intelligence. And in each episode, we will exam- examine topical issues, um, explore latest trends, developments that are shaping the market intelligence landscape, uh, specifically global financial services industry at large as well. Um, uh, those of you who know ISS Market Intelligence know that we are uh, passionate students of the business and anything that we see uh, always generates a lot of uh, uh, quite vibrant discussion here. So we thought that we would just share some of those thoughts with you. My name is Goshka Folda and I'll be your host for this podcast. I'm president and CEO of Investor Economics, a, which is a unit of ISS Market Intelligence. And today I am very pleased to be joined uh, by my colleague, Christopher Davis, um, who is head of U.S. Fund Research at ISS Market Intelligence. Um, We're surprisingly both located in Toronto, Ontario. So this is where we're coming to you from. And just an update on the weather today. uh, It is quite warm. I do not know what it is in Fahrenheit, but in Celsius is almost 20 degrees, which is pretty much unheard of um, for uh, uh, Toronto in April. Um, Today, uh, we are going to um, uh, leverage uh, the findings and and discuss the report um, uh, for which Christopher served as the lead author, which is a recently released ISS Market Intelligence State of the ESG Fund Market. Um, The report specifically looks at the U.S. uh, market for ESG funds, um, draws some very interesting conclusions about um, uh, ESG investing and the inroads that um, it is making in the retail uh, world um, uh, of uh, fund management. Um, So uh, without further ado, uh, welcome, Christopher. Thanks for having me. And as the resident American who's been in Canada for more than a decade now, I've learned how to translate um, Celsius to my still Fahrenheit brain. And that's probably around 70 degrees Fahrenheit. So uh, quite mild and and warm. I I think (laughs) Americans will feel a little toasty in in most most places in the country now if if, if it was 70 degrees. Thank you. Thank you very much, Christopher. You see, uh, I need a researcher to help me uh, translate the the temperatures, which uh, remain a a bit of a mystery for me. But um, uh, it's kind of funny, Uh, Christopher, you and I are always hopping uh, on and off calls and uh, and running well below uh, beyond the allotted times to debate any number of topics about the, the asset management business. Um, and uh, um, and uh, I always enjoy your thoughts, and and certainly this is a topic that is uh, top of mind for so many um, uh, people in asset wealth management business, for many advisors. So I think this is going to be quite quite interesting. And I do know that you are pro consumer of podcasts. This is a um, I am a, I'm a, a neophyte, so uh, I hope you'll be able to <laughs> to guide me in the right direction with this. <laughs> So let's get to the topic at hand, ESG investing. Um, uh, Wherever I look around the business or wherever I go and present to different audiences, this is a topic that comes up almost at every single presentation. So can you tell us a little bit uh, where we are at with respect to the ESG penetration um, in the U.S. um, investment fund market and and what are some of the recent trends that you have observed and described in in your report? 
Well, it is the talk of the town virtually everywhere you go. You would think uh, it has taken over our industry. But if you look at just the amount of assets that are invested in dedicated ESG funds, you know, we're talking something like 1.5% of the, you know, overall fund market. So, um, you know, most of the fund market obviously uh, isn't impacted directly by ESG. Now, we're seeing greater penetration beyond just ESG funds. Managers are incorporating ESG uh, factors into their overall investment approach. So, you know, the, the influence is a little broader than the narrow, you know, 400 billion or so that are in, in ESG funds. Um, but it's the, the footprint is smaller uh, than the amount of words that have been devoted to it in, in recent years. Um, that's a really good point, uh, Christopher. And we'll circle back to the penetration. But uh, you raised a really important point about ESG. That's kind of the the factors versus ESG themed investment mandates. I guess in in many ways, um, uh, maybe we need to level set a little bit about what ESG investing is about. Do you want to talk a little bit about the nomenclature for those uh, very few people uh, listening to this who might not be aware exactly what we're talking about? Well, there's a lot of ways of framing it, uh, but the way I like to describe it very simply is, you know, aligning your investment discipline with environmental, social, and governance principles. So, you know, this might mean in practice, you know, a portfolio that favors or that invests in companies or invests in securities that, you know, promote lower carbon emissions because carbon emissions is why we're, uh, you know, facing the climate crisis. So that's one way to look at it. There are other uh, ESG funds that have more social goals. They may be pursuing, say, uh, women's equality. And so they're going to invest in companies, uh, you know, that have women in leadership, uh, that have corporate boards, that have representation uh, in women. There are even ESG funds, of course, that are faith-based, you know, that represent you know, one's uh, religious faith and seeks to implement those values in the context of, of an overall investment approach. Uh, you know, lastly, I would say there's kind of a divide, though, between this belief that ESG investing is a way to align investing with your values versus this idea that ESG is a way to uh, at least manage risk or even maximize returns. And the reason for that is uh, just a very simple example. Well, you know, uh, climate change poses uh, a risk to the planet. For example, uh, climate change is attributed to, you know, more violent storms, more frequent storms, and that causes financial damage. Um, it is going to impact where people live. It should impact how we save and invest as well. And so it's not necessarily a kumbaya uh, thing where, you know, investors sit around the table and dream of how they could make the world better. Uh, yeah. It's it's a real investment approach that's based on managing risk. Yes, I think that's a really, really good point, because I think that if we are to be if we were to be too dogmatic and, you know, in many ways, I think. Um, uh, the, uh, the the world of asset management, especially on the retail side, likes clear cut definitions and you know asset classifications and uh, categories that everybody can can kind of clearly measure and think about. But in many ways, ESG is still 
and uh, in, in this kind of fluid phase where it's still in the eye of the beholder, I think though you raise a really good point when it comes to risk management, I think it's a much clearer approach. And I think, uh, you know, right now, um, uh, you know, I wonder how even uh, recent events, uh, you know, politically, clearly war in Ukraine um, are affecting, uh, you know, perception of what ESG uh, 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 mandate or or, or uh, ESG factors should be calibrated, how they should be calibrated and how they should be thought about. Yeah, I mean, as the just to take one quick uh, step back in the to the to discuss this idea that ESG investing isn't very well defined. Well, that's true of any kind of nascent or new. Uh, investment approach and an argument I make in the report that this lack of definition, um, the kind of confusion surrounding what ESG means, uh, the lack of standardized data, this is what we see in new types of investment approaches. And to me, that's an argument for we're in the very beginning of the ESG cycle. And, you know, as we progress uh, over the years to come, uh, we'll have more standardization, better classification. People will understand what this means. Uh, and that, of course, will coincide with a larger and more mature ESG market. In terms of what's going on in Ukraine and Russia and all the geopolitical strife, uh, it's, I guess it's shed light on ESG in a few ways. Well, you know, if there are ESG funds out there, and there are, that had Russia exposure before, uh, you know, before the invasion of Ukraine, it's a good question as to how useful are ESG funds in, you know, forecasting risk um, or protecting investors from risk. You know, when the risk of Vladimir Putin uh, invading his neighbors was kind of a known risk. It was not something that, you know, came out of nowhere. Uh, on the other hand, I think you've seen companies behaving in ways that ESG investors have been advocating for a long time. Uh, companies on very moral grounds, uh, you know, have left the the Russian market. Um, you know, in some cases, it really wasn't very costly for them to do so. It would be interesting if we had a similar situation where, say, Taiwan is invaded by China. I will American companies um, mount their high horse, moral high horse, and do the same kind of thing when it really costs them. Um, so, you know, uh, but. If we want to believe that, you know, companies should take in account the interests of all of their stakeholders and think about their broader impact on the world. I think overall, the Ukraine-Russia situation is showing how companies can do it. It also can show how complicated it is to do it. And, you know, the um, old-fashioned way of looking at corporate governance, corporations exist to just maximize um, uh, wealth for shareholders or to maximize the share price, especially in the, the short term. Um, and that's an easier uh, bogey for, for CEOs to, to, to uh, be on the lookout for. However, you know, living in this world is complicated. We all make very complicated moral decisions. We have to think about how to make trade-offs. Uh, often things aren't cut and dried, black and white. And, you know, companies are being invited to live in the world that the rest of us are living in. Um, a world of moral complexity and they're going to have to be able to make choices as how to be good corporate citizens and they'll be short of the mark they'll fall short of the mark uh, often but i think uh, the market and investors are expecting that they try yes i think that's a really good point and i really like your point and you know uh i like how you are able to 
kind of convince the skeptic in me anytime I see a new shiny ball in the in the in the asset management business. And and uh, for for those of you who do not know me, I have been around for for the, the two decades. I'm going to be gentle about uh, uh, my t- my tenure. Um, but the reality is that. Um, this is clearly, uh, you know, this this idea of uh, of being um, kind of responsible about how one deploys uh, their investments is not a new one. Certainly, um, you know, back in the 90s, there was already um, something you mentioned the the religious themed investments are very important, um, a niche, but an important uh, market segment. And clearly now it seems, uh, Christopher, and I think from just judging from the volumes of the U.S. business that you explore in um, in uh, 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 in the report, it seems that that these things are taking off. Can you comment about why you think that is now versus you know what was not in place 25 years ago, if you will? What is in place now? And and again, again, I I think it was one of the factors is certainly these very very dramatic. Um, uh, both environmental and geopolitical risks, I think, are playing definitely to the, to the, uh, you know, to the idea that ESG is an important the set of set of fa- ESG factors is an important um, uh, important kind of marker and consideration in crafting a portfolio. But what are some other things that you think are important? Yeah, I mean. You know, ESG, at least in the retail context, really took off in 2020. It's a little acceleration in 2019, but 2020, it was just, you know, ESG kind of met the moment. Um, We had the pandemic, which demonstrated, you know, vast inequalities in our society. You know, the murder of George Floyd was another event. We had wildfires, uh, floods. I mean, it was kind of a biblical uh, year in terms of the, the scale of the events. So often that's kind of uh, those events are attributed to raising awareness uh, to ESG related issues. It's a little convenient when we've done surveys of, of financial advisors, our market metrics unit uh, surveys financial advisors on various topics throughout the year. And, you know, we asked them last year, you know, how much did the what kind of role did the pandemic play in you or your clients adoption of ESG investments? And it was a very small contributor. I've seen that in other surveys as well. So maybe just a drip, drip, drip of things. Um, uh, also, and, and this really, I think, can't be ignored uh, in 2020. Uh, up to 2020, ESG funds had really strong performance uh, throughout the 2010s. Growth stocks, um, you know, stocks like Tesla, which uh, you know you see a lot in ESG portfolios, um, you know, because of its uh, leading role in bring and bringing the electrification of the automobile industry uh, in, into play. You know, those kinds of stocks did tremendous. So uh, it helped allay long-time skepticism that ESG funds, you know. They're nice. They're doing good things, but the, there's a price to be paid in terms of performance. So yeah, that narrative um, disappearing that there's, or at least, uh, at least, um, investors were more open to the idea that maybe ESG funds will outperform uh, because they had at least for some time. Um, uh, you know, lastly uh, is demographics. You know, if you look at uh, younger investors, and by younger investors I mean maybe 45 and under. If you ask them um, whether they want to align their investments with their values, you know, something like 70% will tell you that they 
they want to do that. Now, a much smaller percentage, something like 20% of them actually have align their investments with their values. So, um, you know, people haven't necessarily put their money where their mouth is, uh, but that, but that's up. Uh, I think maybe if you looked at those kinds of numbers, you know, five years ago, you, you would have seen almost no investment. Um, everybody would say they're interested, but the, the investment wouldn't follow. And one of the things in 2020 is people were actually really bored, especially in early 2020. Yeah. They had a lot of time on their hands. We saw, you know, millions of new accounts opened, um, you know, at the uh, various online brokerage firms that were offering for the first time, you know, commission-free trading of ETFs. And it's not really a coincidence, I think, that, you know, ESG ETFs took off and you know, in 2020, when more people had access to them and, you know, household balance sheets were flush, you know, people actually had money to invest across, you know, the demographic spectrum. So I think all of the stars aligned over the past couple of years. Yes, I think that this is a really important thought that before we even explore the kind of the availability of retail options for ESG investing, which we'll talk about next, but clearly that demand pool was there because we have seen through, you know, through the pandemic, the, uh, if you will, the arrival and the activation of the millennial households as investors and also, uh, lo and behold, the arrival of the, the youngest uh, um, uh, of those uh, investor generations, um, uh, the Gen, Gen Z um, uh, cohort. So I think that you're absolutely right that that demand pool is there. But I think in response to that, I think um, uh, I know you you speak in the in the report about the fact that also the supply side has responded and has created quite a lot more options. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, in, in 2021, uh, we saw record product launches in the ESG space. Uh, but what I think is kind of notable is, you know, uh, at least a plurality of new launches were what I would call kind of general purpose ESG funds. You know, they invest kind of broadly across the bond market or the stock market. And what that indicates to me um, it, and what you just a- actually see is lots of firms that didn't have ESG funds are now launching ESG funds. And kind of where do you start? Well, you start with a general purpose, maybe a kind of ESG-ified version of the kinds of diversified funds that you are offering already. So, you know, that's a sign of a kind of young market. Um, there are is it, you're starting to see more examples, I think, of kind of niche offerings, you know, that played a very specific interest like decarbonization or alternative energy or, you know, invest in the transition to a low carbon economy. So you're starting to see kind of niche things like that bubbling up. But kind of early in the in the cycle, if you're an investor that wants to align with ESG principles, um, you're going to kind of start in the beefiest area of your portfolio. Um, and those are the kinds of things that sold that have, you know, sold uh, the best, those that, you know, could serve a- a- as core holdings. Yes, that's a really good point. Now, not to play devil's advocate, but maybe to to do so anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think that with all this um, onslaught of new products, um, you know, there is some concern and the, this has been articulated to me by some even uh, 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 leading asset managers um, and uh, their um, 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 CEOs and uh, and heads of product that that there is some fear that. Uh, you know, some uh, some companies are launching funds and giving a lot of thought how to incorporate ESG, 
Um, and you're right, this is a young market, but others might be rushing a bit too fast. Clearly, this is a complex set of factors to uh, bake into, you know, what could be a very well-established portfolio management process at at, uh, at some asset managers. So, you know, of course, I, I should be cautious, but, you know, there is a fear of uh, is greenwashing really a factor and uh, should, um, you know, I would say that within the industry, there is as much fear as outside of the industry, outside, of course, because regulators are going to pay close attention to that. We're seeing this in Europe uh, already underway. But of course, um, it's also something that concerns asset managers themselves, because if they are putting considerable amount of time and capital to build ESG functionality and to man it accordingly and to do it really, really well, they clearly don't want some kind of a spillover effect of somebody maybe not doing it as thoughtfully as needs to be done. What's what are your thoughts on on on, you know, is too much product being launched? Is it? thoughtful enough? I think that, you know, ESG funds, you know, uh, require a certain level of trust from the buyer. There, you know, of course, any person that invests with the fund is entrusting their hard-earned money. And, you know, that does require some level of trust. But you're also, in many instances, um, believing that this asset manager is going to invest your dollars Along, alongside or in uh, in alignment, I should say, you know, with your values. And so if it turns out, um, you know, that the asset manager falls short of that, it could be viewed by the investor as a violation of trust. And as a asset manager, you know, the most valuable asset you could have is trust. Um, once trust goes away, you can go out of business in a hurry. Just ask Lehman Brothers. Just ask Bear Stearns. Um, yeah, they were going concerns until they weren't. I'm not. Uh, I, I don't think the asset management industry is at risk of anything like that. I'm not making that point, but I'm just saying that trust kind of buy, is what keeps, um, well, at the very least, keep you growing. And you know. Um, uh, so I think sustainability really is about building trustful relationships. Um, the CFA Institute talks about giving the industry a license to operate. And part of it is, of course, regulators and, and self-regulatory organizations, you know, blessing asset management organizations. You know, you're up to compliance, uh, you're up to snuff. But obviously having a license to drive doesn't make you a good driver. Uh, you're a bad driver if you're uh, – um, you know, an antisocial driver. Well, you know, if the industry uh, is viewed by the public as not contributing to the greater good, um, uh, the industry's license isn't as powerful. And, you know, sure, the industry will probably still be plenty profitable, but uh, its long-term success is even greater when it has the license from the public to operate. Yes, I think that uh, and your argument about the, the tr- about trust being such an integral part of the really of the relationship with the investor and uh, of the value proposition. Uh, I, I completely buy that. I think that's absolutely the case. And and you're right that um, with ESG investing, that 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 hurdle of trust or that the kind of the level of trust is even amplified because clearly investors are. Investors and advisors that assist them are pursuing these mandates with a, with a, a, a higher purpose, uh, possibly than just investment returns. 
Um, so connected to that, um, uh, I know um, uh, in the great article in the Barons that uh, featured uh, an interview with you and uh, you spoke about the report. Um, I really uh, enjoyed that article. I know you mentioned uh, uh, kind of uh, fees um, uh, uh, in respect to that. So, you know, it's an interesting thought. Um, um, you know, will investors accept that uh, creating uh, either a, a, a core ESG themed investment or an overlay of ESG factors onto an, an existing portfolio management process is is going to not cost nothing. <laughs> it's going right. to be pot potentially costly, of course, um, you know, and full disclosure, we've got a great ISS ESG um, data and research team. Uh, we've got a tremendous strength in this arena and of of course, offer um, uh, portfolio managers, asset managers, institutional investors, a lot of tools and data um, that they can leverage. But clearly, it requires talent to man it. And that talent is scarce right now still. Yeah. And it's expensive. So uh, there would be, uh, you know, that that component, I think, that that investors will have to to accept that there there might be some kind of fee premium that needs to to accommodate uh, these uh, new expenditures. Yeah, um, you know, I wrote about it in the report, and maybe it was a little bit different than what you might expect. Uh, in active management, there wasn't a whole, a very large fee premium mm -hmm. for ESG funds. It was something like, you know, 10 basis points or something like that. Oh, really? More expensive to have an ESG fund. But, you know, the, the premium in U.S. equity for in uh, indexing was something like three times, you know, the, the you know, plain vanilla market cap weighted portfolio. Um, now, you know, you're paying three times as much, uh, but in absolute terms, you're still paying a lot less uh, than you would for active management. Uh, I guess, you know, odds are you'll, your portfolio will outperform the average uh, active manager. Uh, but yeah, they're more expensive to operate and ESG funds are also smaller. So you just have less uh, economies of scale. Uh, what I read about the report, though, is I think these premiums will diminish over time um, mm -hmm. as the you know, the uh, number of options expand as and scale the, and scale. Right? So yeah. I think that those will put downward pressures on fees. Um, being an ESG strategy will cease to be very special um, over time. You know, as we see firms incorporating ESG factors into their investment approaches, uh, uh, you know, some of the largest managers have pledged or say they're doing so. Um, uh, in March, actually, American funds uh filed with the SEC to announce that, you know, they consider ESG factors now. So, you know, it's becoming uh, so mainstream uh, that over time it'll be hard to get a premium. But I think investors are willing to pay something of a premium. Um, you know, in, in the index space, they're paying fees that are very similar to what you might get in a smart beta fund. And so what that says to me is that um, investors associate ESG with perhaps outperformance, just like smart beta was supposed to be a, a solution that helps you uh, outperform. And so, you know, paying more makes sense or, you know, it would pay, it's worth paying up a little bit so that, you know, investments can be, you can have an investment aligned with your, your values. Um, obviously it's, it's not worth that much to people to have uh, an aligned strategy, you know, especially in the active uh, realm. I, I, you know, I, I suppose there's not that much of a premium just uh, people are willing to pay to do the right thing, but 
uh, or what they perceive to be the right thing. But I think that's the, the kind of reason for the premium. I think over time, managers who launch ESG funds solely hoping to capture the premium might be a bit disappointed because that, that premium, at least if capitalism works, uh, you know, will, will diminish. Yes, and I think, Christopher, over time, we've seen this in other, you know, other, uh, maybe not shiny balls, but in, in, in other mandates that prove to to have staying power and scale. And I think those things get kind of, uh, you know, ironed out over time. Uh, but I think that that's, a, that's an interesting point. And maybe um, if we just turn our attention to the future and what the outlook is, and I'll tell you, um, and, and what, what are your thoughts and what you explore in the report? Um, uh, you know, is there, what, what else needs to happen? I would say, particularly when it comes to advisors, um, of course, intermediated advisors are assisting great many um, uh, well-heeled investors and even those less well-heeled. Um, and uh, um, I continue to see um, some disconnect between even the stated um, uh, desire by investors to uh, lean as a minimum towards ESG um, uh, and certainly consider versus something uh, that's being, you know, kind of a, um, um, a, a, a constant or consistent um, uh, tool in the toolkit of advisors. And this is where I see, you know, you mentioned uh, going back to your earlier comment that roughly 1.5 percent of asset, uh, assets under management in the retail investment fund business in the U.S. is in those ESG themed um, or ESG um, uh, uh, considering uh, uh, fund mandates. Meanwhile, um, in Europe, when you I'm just checking my data, my memory is not what it used to be. Europe assets are, are close to one quarter now, 23 percent, according to our Symphon Global data set. And that slows 2021, 60 percent, if you can imagine, 60 percent of all um, net flows in Europe uh, went into funds with some form of ESG uh, consideration. They might not be fully ESG themed. Yeah, right. So. That's a huge disconnect. Um, what, what do you think? Uh, uh, this, this, this is this an opportunity that whose time still, still is to come? And what do we need to do with advisors? Uh, what is some of the market metrics? Um, great research on on advisors that we're doing is telling us. Well, um, yeah, I mentioned the survey that we did uh, of advisors um, and wrote about it last, uh, I think, in the third quarter. Um, yeah, advisors are, are kind of a skeptical audience. You know, overwhelmingly, the reason they say their clients are in ESG is because the clients asked. Uh, advisors haven't bought into the idea that, you know, ESG is a risk minimizing or return boosting uh, endeavor. I think they're skeptical about performance and and, and for good reason. Uh, you know, if, if they're an advisor that regards themselves as a fiduciary that exists to you know, maximize returns for, for the uh, fund holder. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you know, the performance doubts are going to play in the mind of a fiduciary. Now, one of the things I think that will alleviate that concern is the U.S. Department of Labor um, has said, at least in retirement plans, that, you know, including ESG funds and retirement plans is perfectly consistent with fiduciary duty. And if we apply this idea elsewhere, um, you know, we I, I think there's going to be kind of a, a just a strong cultural and legal sense out there that, you know, ESG and fiduciary duty are perfectly compatible. So 
you know, that brings us to some of the regulatory things. I don't, I can't imagine, I would be very surprised if the U.S. Uh, adopts a EU-style regulatory scheme um, uh, to promote ESG to the extent that Europe has. Um, but I don't think you need that kind of uh, regulatory pressure, you know, for there to be lots of growth. And I think what regulators are doing in the U.S. will be really meaningful. Um, we saw recently the SEC announcing uh, their intention to have rules where uh, individual companies will have to announce their carbon emissions, announce what their uh, plans are to transition to a lower uh, carbon uh, environment. And I think all of those things are going to create a more standardized data set out there. And one of the complaints that advisors and other uh, market participants say is that, you know, well, the ESG data isn't very good. It isn't helpful. It's not standardized. Uh, well, you know, there are some solutions out there coming down the pike, um, you know, that will alleviate uh, a lot of those concerns. And, you know, I would make the argument that even if we don't see um, uh, mass adoption of ESG strategies by new investors, the existing a uh, bunch of ESG investors, I think, really will make a difference. They think something like almost 90% of ESG assets are in equities in the U.S. Um, well, we know investor portfolios are not 90% equity. There's something like 60% equity overall. And so just kind of narrowing that uh, gap uh, among ESG investors uh, as they diversify across asset classes will expand ESG's footprint. And I think as people just become more educated um, uh, and as it just becomes part of the water, uh, you'll be drinking ESG even if you don't know it. Uh, you know, it's especially with the SEC um, mandating disclosure, ESG factors will become financial factors just like earnings are, just like cash uh, flows are just like balance sheet data uh, is, and so it'll just be, you know, um, uh, you know, so much a part of the, you know, investment ecosystem that it'll become kind of second, uh, second nature uh, to lots of investors. Um, I, I think that you know, as much as a, as a, as a contrarian as I like to be, I think I, I agree with you. Um, you know, I think. Soon enough, we won't be really thinking, you know, this is ESG, this is not ESG. Everything will be ESG. There might be just shades of shades of gray around that. Um, and um, I agree with you. I think advisors like things uh, cut and dry and, you know, some form of fluidity in the ESG definitions and execution. While uh, we think it's a it's a natural sign of a young market, I think it just takes advisors a little bit longer to get behind that. I think maybe one, um, just a concluding thought, you know, uh, something that I haven't seen enough as we explore this topic around the world. And actually, we've got a, a report um, uh, published, uh, being published on Canada and also on our um, leveraging our global data sets. And um, we'll talk about that in an upcoming podcast. But I think that one of the things that I have not seen develop quite as much um, with ESG investing in the retail world is uh, what I would say a truly alpha porting and ESG strategy. So a lot of it still is around the risk uh, management um, aspects of incorporating ESG factors. But one would think 
Um, you know, when you mentioned Tesla, would have been a, a, a classic example, um, you know, of of uh, or certain technologies um, um, or ideas that are out there worth pursuing as an investment strategy, as a way to actually generate significant alpha and, you know, and, and capture one of those unicorns uh, before they become one. Um, I think that's probably another promise uh, uh, of ESG. And for that, the runway seems to be uh, we're very, very, you know, in the first few inches of the runway, that's probably uh, uh, miles long. Yeah, I mean, if you um, look at what we need to accomplish as a planet in order to m- mitigate climate change, um, you know, limit it to the uh, 1.5 degrees Celsius rise by 2100, that is, you know, kind of the, the North Star, uh, you know, globally, uh, a lot of big changes need to happen. Um, right now, I think the S&P 500 is aligned with something like a 3.2 degree uh, increase by 2100. And so that means that either we're really going to bake or, uh, you know, or, you know, that uh, the S&P 500 companies and all of the billions uh, or trillions of dollars that are aligned with indexes like it are kind of on the wrong side of the, you know, sustainability uh, divide. They yeah. may be left holding the, the bag, um, you know, if they end up overweight companies that emit lots of carbon and underweight, you know, companies that that don't uh, emit a lot of carbon. So I think that is a kind of a systemic uh, risk and in many ways maybe the the battle or the the dilemma whether to ESG or not ESG invest is also the 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 probably the age old battle between short termism and long termism uh, with ESG being the ultimate long termism uh, a, a style of investing recognizing that certain things that are that are happening uh, to our planet and to society at large uh, just need to be um, uh, reversed, controlled, or otherwise mitigated, uh, as we all uh, end up in a in a very very hot and steamy <laughs> place, uh, uh, not just temperature wise. Uh, Christopher, um, this was a lot of fun. Thank you very much. Um, I I encourage everyone to um, uh, to read the report. Um, I think it's very very interesting and very thoughtful. And I know Christopher, you're work uh, working on another. Um, uh, edition and uh, more to come on this topic, correct? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, we have a, a report coming out. I mentioned kind of what sort of uh, temperature alignment the S&P 500 uh, uh, is, is, is facing if you look to 2050, 2100. Well, I actually took a look at um, how funds overall are positioning themselves relative to this 1.5 degree uh uh, target that we need to hit if we want to mitigate the worst impacts of climate change. And, uh, you know, the short answer is it's kind of a scary prospect when you look at the entire fund universe. Um, but maybe I can come on here another time. I look forward to, to speaking with you again about that and all all other kinds of things, ESG. Thank you, Christopher. I knew this was going to be a lot of fun. And it, indeed, it was for me. I hope it was for everyone listening in. Uh, thank you for listening to the inaugural um, uh, uh, podcast in the My Talk uh, edition. And uh, we look forward to your comments, ideas and thoughts about future topics. Will we 
as I said, and market intelligence are uh, are huge fans uh, of the asset wealth management, life insurance, uh, 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 distribution businesses. We love to talk about them. So uh, give us your ideas for topics and we'll be sure uh, uh, to present something on that. We never lack for ideas or opinions on just about any topic in the industry. With that, I sign off. Uh, Thank you very much for listening.